my dear listeners, and welcome to Counter Melody. It is I, your host, Daniel Gundlach, and as always, I'm committed to bringing you the voices of beloved singers, often focusing on unexpected facets of their artistry. You will also be hearing less celebrated but equally treasurable artists who deserve our attention and respect. I'm honored to have you join me on this ongoing mutual journey of discovery. And now, without any further ado, let's get down to today's business. Great singers and great singing.
Hello, my friends. That was the extraordinary voice and artistry of Magda Oliveiro, who celebrated her 111th birthday on the 25th of March. That, of course, was In Quelle Trine Morbide from Manon Lescaut of Puccini. It was heard live in concert in Amsterdam on the 27th of October, 1962. If you have not heard of Magda Oliveiro, please get ready for an intense ride. Oliviero was not a casual artist, and she demands the utmost attention when we listen to her singing. Maria Maddalena Olivero was born in Saluzzo, Italy, on the 25th of March, 1910. She studied music at Giuseppe Verdi Conservatory in Torino, and in 1932 made her debut performing a religious oratorio on the radio. Here's an example of her very early singing. This is a 1940 recording with Arturo Basile conducting the Orchestra Sinfonica di Torino della Rai, the Italian radio orchestra of Torino in Puccini's O Mio Babbino Caro. Olivero was always at the service of the music. In the case of Lauretta in Gianni Schicchi, that means that she was performing the role of a young girl excited about buying a ring for herself and trying to bribe her father in ways that she's always been able to get what she wants out of him. It's not a soupy, swoopy version of this aria, such as one too often hears. Only gradually does she start dwelling on those high A-flats at the very end. It's a beautifully paced, wonderful performance from a singer not yet 30 years old. It is perhaps interesting to note that Marlene Dietrich's birth name was also Marie Magdalene. She became Marlene, and Olivero 
became Magda, each in her own way a unique artist, a complete and utter individual who invented her own rules. But while Dietrich was a larger-than-life personality both on and off the screen, Magda Oliveiro, when she was not portraying one of her Verismo heroines, was a very modest, retiring person, as we shall see. I believe that Magda Oliveiro's very first recording was in 1938, when she sang the role of Liu in the first complete recording of Puccini's Turanto. Her colleagues included Gina Cigna as Turanto and Francesco Merli as Calaf. Instead of playing you an example from that recording, I'm going to play you the first excerpt from a live concert that Magda Olivero gave in Firenze at the Chiesa di San Jacopino on the 28th of March 1969. She is accompanied solely by a pianist, Maria Concetta Balducci, and as you will hear, the acoustic is very live. At this point in time, Oliviero, having just celebrated her 59th birthday a few days before, is in extraordinary voice and gives what many consider to have been the finest concert performance of her career. She would often give concerts in churches and always requested that her audience, which usually numbered a vast number of, what shall we call them, opera queens, would enthusiastically voice their approval at the end of every number, and sometimes even in the middle of a number. Olivero is not a singer for casual listening. She was 100% committed to her craft. She took a relatively modest voice and developed it into something that was, to paraphrase a song that we're going to hear a little bit later, Una Cosa Meravigliosa. You hear all of those things in this performance of Signore Ascolta, the first of Liu's arias from Turandot.
More than 10 years earlier, Oliveiro gave one of her most exquisite performances. This is an aria that I love so much and that one very seldom encounters these days. It's by Alfredo Catalani, and no, it is not a Ben Leandro Lontana. It is rather from his opera Lorelai, and it is sung not by Lorelai herself, but by the seconda donna Anna, who is the human counterpart of the seductive water spirit Lorelai. Anna sings this aria Amor Celeste Brezza as she anticipates marriage to her betrothed Walter who has become entranced and enchanted by Lorelai. Needless to say the wedding never takes place. From a 1958 recording with Franco Mannino conducting the Orchestra Sinfonica di Milano della Rai, the Rai Orchestra based in Milano. Here is Amor Celeste Brezza. Baby. 
1941, shortly after making a series of recordings for Cetra, Magda Olivero married the industrialist Aldo Busch. Following her marriage, she all but retired, singing only rarely and then only in local events. But before she retired, she had already in 1939 taken on the role of Francesco Cilea's Adriana Le Couvreur. We have a tantalizing but very brief excerpt from a live recording in Rome in March 1940, which features Olivero singing opposite Beniamino Gigli in the aria La Dolcissima e Fige. We'll be hearing more of Adriana towards the end of the episode.
One thing that I try to do when I'm preparing my podcast episodes is if there is an expert out there who knows more than I do about something, I try and contact that person and get their input on the subject that I am considering. That was true for this week's episode. I found a page on YouTube called the Magda Olivero Archive, which was chock full of marvelous things, including that performance of Amor Celeste Brezza that we heard. I reached out to the person that keeps that page, Denis Robert. He responded and we engaged in some very interesting conversations about Magda Olivero. Upon first hearing her live recordings, he became one of those devoted fans. He knew her personally from the end of the 1960s and eventually began traveling and recording many of her performances. He also had some wonderful stories to tell me, including one about the precarious condition of that very Gigli Olivero Adriana excerpt that we just heard. In addition, he provided me with high-quality transfers from the original masters of many of the performances in Amsterdam and also of the San Jacopino concert. On the show notes page, I am linking to the YouTube page for the Magda Olivero archive and for two wonderful articles that he wrote about Magda Olivero. In 1950, Francesco Cilea begged Magda Olivero to return to the stage. He felt that her portrayal of Adriana was beyond parallel, and he wanted one more time to hear a definitive performance of her as his heroine. Alas, he died shortly before her return to the stage as Adriana, but from 1951 on, Olivero resumed her career, though her last official performance on stage was in 1981. Olivero never formally retired. In fact, she would return to the concert stage in public and semi-public appearances up until she reached the age of 99. Many of these performances can be seen on the page of the Magda Olivero archive on YouTube, and I heartily recommend that you search those things out. In 1967, Magda Olivero finally made her U.S. opera debut in the title role of Cherubini's Medea in Dallas, where Maria Callas had previously sung in the same production. It might not have been the perfect vehicle for Olivero, but it was the first time she took the role on, and she did repeat it numerous times over the course of the next few years. In addition, she began appearing with increasing regularity in both opera and concert throughout the United States. Eventually, it was through the intervention of none other than Marilyn Horn that Schuyler Chapin, then the general manager of the Met, finally extended an invitation in 1975 to Olivero to appear in three performances as Tosca on the stage of the Metropolitan Opera. At the time of her Met debut, Magda Olivero was 65 years old. There is a pirate recording of that that one can hear, and it is an extraordinary, unique document. In lieu of playing that performance for you, I am going to once again offer an excerpt from the San Jacopino concert. This is a visidarte with Olivero giving a finely shaded and desperate yet prayerful 
performance. You hear her extraordinary way with this music, dare I say, unique in terms of vocal color, dynamic shading, and technical aplomb. After Olivero's three performances on the Met stage, she was also invited to participate in the Met Tour in 1979. At that point, I was a student at St. Olaf College, and when I heard 
that Oliveiro, whose studio recordings I had already heard and marveled at, was going to be appearing opposite Pavarotti on the tour. I did everything that I could to obtain a ticket, but alas, because of her partner, and by the way, that was the only time the two ever sang together on that tour, I was unable to get a ticket to the Minneapolis performance. I was crushed. I feel like I was deprived of what probably would have been one of the greatest experiences of my opera-going life. Nevertheless, we do have a live performance from that tour from Dallas, and I want you to hear how Oliviero relates the story of Scarpia's intended rape and her plunging the blade into his heart. In this short excerpt, you hear everything that Oliviero was about. And mind you, she's 69 years old at this point. Okay, people? Oliveira would appear, it was as if she was resurrecting the tradition of the Verismo divas. Singers like Gemma Bellincioni, Rosetta Pampanini, Gilda Dallarizza, Maria Zamboni, Eugenia Burzio, and Lina Bruna Rasa. With all of these singers, their portrayals far transcended the music as it appears on the page. It requires that sacro foco, the sacred flame that someone like Olivero and her predecessors brought to these parts. To perform these roles dutifully is to do these roles a complete and utter disservice. The only singer, in my opinion, who even approached Olivero in this tradition in the late 20th century was Renata Scotto who herself was the object of a great deal of controversy because it was felt that she was often overreaching her voice in her attempts to give these larger-than-life portrayals. This is one thing we can say for Olivero. Her voice was so well-trained that she was able to use it at the complete service of the music. Now, because Olivero was so 
finely tuned a singer. She was able to take on roles which she probably had no business singing. That was the thing that they also always said about Renata Scotto. But Olivero was never ambitious in that regard. She was devoted to serving the music much more than she was to advancing her career. And therefore, when she appeared in performances, this may sound hackneyed, but it was to serve the music and the drama. Here's a very short example of that from the end of the card scene, which ends Act Two of La Fanciulla del West. This is a live performance from Torino with Lino Pulisi as Jack Rance. When Olivero, as Minnie, cheats to win and Rance stomps out of her cabin, she unleashes a wild frenzy of hysterical laughter. For those who have listened to a lot of Olivero recordings know this was one of her supreme ways of expressing the character's madness or hysteria. Io penso solamente che torrò fra le mie braccia. Tre, vedi, ti vinco! Qualcosa da fare! Che devo darvi? Tanta bottiglia, vedo, al bicchiere dov'è? Resto certo, ma lo chiedo! points out that over the course of Olivero's career, she sang almost 1,200 performances of over 80 different roles, 20 of which were premieres. Many of the composers whose music she sang were alive as she was beginning her studies. Remember that that premiere recording of Toronto, in which she participated, took place only 14 years after Puccini's death. 
And speaking of Turandot, one knows that the opera was completed by Franco Alfano, who himself also wrote a number of interesting operas. Even though he did not have Puccini's melodic gift, he did have a wonderful sense of theater. And again, it is crucial in the performance of these operas that one commit 125% to conveying the drama through the music. Probably Alfano's most famous opera is Risurrezione, based on a Tolstoy novel. This is one of a small subgenre of Verismo operas which are based in Russia. For instance, Giordano's Fedora or Siberia. I think there are a couple others, but these are the three primary ones. Again in Torino in 1973, Magda Olivero participated in a live performance of the opera. This is the end of Act Two, in which Katyusha, the peasant heroine, awaits her lover, Prince Dimitri, who has gotten her pregnant and abandoned her. She sings the aria, Dio Pietoso, Dear God, let him see me and have pity upon me when he sees my miserable state. Alas, at the conclusion of the aria, Dimitri appears, but in the company of a prostitute, whom he leads onto the train. And let's just say that Katyusha Yusha has a bit of a breakdown. We're going to hear both the aria and the hysteria that ends the act. In this complete performance, unlike some of her performances of the aria in a concert context, Olivero takes an extremely slow tempo and in doing so conjures up the complete and utter psychic desolation of this character.
going to take a short moment here to thank you all for your support and for being such faithful listeners. For those of you who are not yet Patreon supporters, may I invite you to consider donating to the upkeep of the podcast. Only $2 a month will unlock all of the bonus episodes that I have thus far posted. If you are able to donate at any level, please visit patreon.com slash countermelody and pledge your support there. because I always like, if it is possible to include a crossover selection, I was delighted to find a performance of Magda Olivero singing the song L'amore è una cosa meravigliosa, or, as it's known in English, Love is a many-splendored thing. The song by Sammy Fain and Paul Francis Webster, with Italian words by the pseudonymous De Villi. This is a performance from the Rai Studios in Milan, on the 3rd of December 1957. We'll begin with a verse and go into the ecstatic conclusion. Andando per le strade di Hong Kong, su e giù, su e giù, conobbi una ragazza di Hong Kong e le chiesi col batticuor. Mi sai dir dove Io l'ho cercato in vano e dove io non lo so. Lei mi guardò e darò sì dicendo così.
For the end of the program, I'm going to focus on three roles in which Olivero's artistry was best represented, I think. The first of these might seem to be an outlier. That is the role of Violetta in La Traviata. As Denis and I were discussing, the record companies for whom she made only a handful of recordings did not know how to record her voice properly, and therefore none of the studio recordings do her full justice, nor do many of the live performances that were recorded. That said, before her first retirement in in 1940, Magda Oliveiro recorded an extraordinary version of the Shena from the end of the first act. This recording is felt by many to be the supreme performance of this particular scene. God knows there are a lot of singers who have attempted it, many of whom have been very successful, but very few have been as adept at communicating the hysteria and the depth of feeling of Violetta. In 1964, 24 years years after having made that recording. Magda Olivero went into the studio and filmed a lip-synced version of this scene. It's a unique and marvelous document and, again, is available on the pages of the Magda Olivero archive on YouTube. Unfortunately, because of time limitations, I'm taking two cuts. We're beginning with the Aquellamor section of the aria and then I'm cutting out the first iteration of the Sempre Libera. Please forgive me. It's wonderful to hear the entire performance, however, and I refer you again to the pages of the Magda Olivero archive for that. <laughs>
Traviata was a role that Oliveira performed frequently, and in 1967 in Amsterdam, she participated in a concert performance of excerpts from the opera. We have that in wonderful sound with the tenor Doro Antonidi as Alfredo and the <clears throat> stalwart Italian baritone Aldo Protti as Germont. Fulvio Vernizzi, who was the conductor of many of her Amsterdam performances, conducts the Concertgebouw Orchestra in this performance from the 6th of May, 1967. This is the death scene of Violetta from the words Prendi, it's interesting to hear Olivero bringing her verismo sensibility to play in this scene. One imagines that Muzio would have been a very similar kind of Violetta.
one filmed example of Olivero in live performance, and that was of her portrayal of Margherita in Mephistofele in Newark in 1976, I think it is. It's shot with a concealed camera. The sound and video are very poor, and yet you really have to look at it. It's extraordinary. L'altra notte is a kind of coloratura aria. It's one of those mad scenes that one encounters in Donizetti or Bellini, much more compact and perhaps requiring a slightly different kind of voice. But so often the people who sing Margherita don't really have the technical facility to sing those coloratura passages, nor do they have the ability to do those amazing decrescendi and also the swelling of volume that Oliviero is able to bring to her portrayal. I'm going to play you the L'altra Notte from the San Jacopino concert in March 1969 with piano accompaniment. It is one of the most extraordinary representations of her artistry that I've ever heard. Thank you. 
happened to see a comment that someone had made on one of the YouTube postings of this very performance of this aria, saying, Oh, well, it's good, but the overacting ruins it. If I could reach across the distances and through space and time and slap that person across the face, I probably wouldn't, but they would deserve it nonetheless. We heard a short excerpt from one of Olivero's very early performances of Adriana Le Couvre in 1940. More than 30 years later, she gave her final performances of the role in Newark in 1973. Probably Olivero's most legendary performance is of the role of Adriana at the Teatro San Carlo in Napoli. She had had an appendectomy three days before and received an urgent summons to replace an ailing Renata Tebaldi in the title role. Her doctors all advised her against doing this, but going against their orders and following her inner lights instead, she participated in that performance. The recording of that performance features Giulietta Simeonato, Franco Corelli, and Ettore Bastianini, and it is an extraordinary document, but I'm not going to play any of it for you today. I spoke to Denis about this, and he feels that for Olivero, it was, in fact, a careful performance. She was in extremely precarious health and had put herself in a dangerous position, in fact. So he feels that one hears a real husbanding of her resources. Those in the know much prefer the 1965 performance in Amsterdam. It's a much less distinguished supporting cast, and yet Olivero is, at the age of 55, in her absolute prime. This opera is a fanciful take on the life of the French tragedian Adrienne Le Couvreur. The plot is, in fact, enormously convoluted and complicated, and I am giving you a not very accurate synopsis. So, please forgive me. So, Adriana is an actress, and when we first encounter her midway through Act One of the opera, she is just about to make her entrance onto the stage and is rehearsing her character's opening lines. And when the backstage Johnnies and various others begin praising her, she says, Please, please, I am merely a vessel through which art is expressed. Most divas take on this part or sing this aria in concert as a way of expressing their faux modesty, saying, Oh, no, 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 please don't celebrate me. I'm merely a vessel through which my artistry pours. But Olivero was not this kind of an artist, and because of that, her Adriana is the greatest that ever was. So, let's experience that opening scene. Del sultano Muratte, marrendo all'imperio, tutte uscite, e ogni soglia sia chiusa all'audace. No, così non va bene. Tutte uscite. Oh, <laughs> 
Adriana has a rival in the Principessa di Bouillon, who is also involved with Adriana's boyfriend, Maurizio, the Count of Saxony. Adriana finds herself in a situation where she has to help her rival escape from an assignation with Maurizio to avoid being discovered by the Principessa's husband. In the third act, Adriana appears at a party given by the Prince and Principessa of Bouillon, at which she is asked to give 
a recitation. Insulted by her rival and still smarting from Maurizio's betrayal, she chooses the scene from Racine's Phaedre and uses it to publicly insult the Principessa di Bouillon, who vows revenge. This, again, is an excerpt from that same performance. Giusto cielo, che feci in tal giorno, già s'accinge il mio sposo col figlio al ritorno. Testimon, testimon d'una adultera fiamma, El vedrà in cospetto del padre, tremar, tremar mia vita, e gonfiarsi il mio petto dai vani sospir, e tra lacrime rise il mio ciglio languir. Credi tu che curante di tese o la fama Di svelargli non osi l'orrendo mio dramma, che mentire mi lascia al parente e al re. Era freni l'immenso ribrezzo per me. E gingvan facerebbe. So il turpe mio inganno, voglio. Mi potrei come fanno le audacissime impure, cui gioia è tradir, cui gioia è tradir una fronte di gelo che After this experience, Adriana retreats to her villa, where she suffers in silence away from the stage and abandoned by Maurizio. In her retreat, she is stunned to receive some violets which she had given to Maurizio and which she interprets as a sign of his final severing of ties. Unbeknownst to her, the violets have been poisoned by her rival, the Principessa, and she heavily breathes in the scent of the dried flowers and at the same time inhales the poisonous fumes which will kill her a very short time later. As she laments the now-dead love that is represented symbolically by those flowers, she sings the extraordinary aria, Poveri Fiori. By the way, I'm just going to inject a little something here. When I sang in the drag opera company La Gran Cena, I was given the Poveri Fiori scene to sing, and I nearly died singing it. It is so, so difficult. It looks really 
easy on the page, and believe me, it is not. Olivero is able to wring the utmost pathos out of this aria. I've never heard anything like it, and I think maybe her very best performance of it is, again, from the San Jacopino concert in March 1969. Eventually, Maurizio shows up, they patch things up, and all is well, except that Adriana is dying from inhaling the scent of the poisoned violets. Here is an excerpt of the death scene, in which a raving Adriana first believes that she is back on the stage and is moving towards that eternal light. Her partners in the scene are Ferrando Ferrari as Maurizio and Renato Capecchi as her manager and man who is secretly carrying a torch for her, Michonne. Oh, 
Maria Maddalena Olivero died on the 8th of September 
Her career spanned five decades, and she brought the verismo sensibility to the stage at a time when it had more or less been forgotten. Thank you to Denis Robert for his assistance, as well as for the beautifully remastered performances from San Jacopino and Amsterdam. There are two books on singers which contain fascinating interviews with Magda Olivero. One is Jerome Heinz's Great Singers on Great Singing, and the other is Lanfranco Rasponi's book The Last Prima Donnas. I have both of them in my collection. I do not have them here with me in Berlin, so I'm not able to refer to them directly, but I remember in one of them, and I can't remember which one, that Olivero spoke about her performing, that when she was performing, she felt as if she became an entity that stood outside of herself and looked down and watched the character going through the actions of singing and acting. I think that this devotion is well illustrated in all of the things that we've heard today. In 1970, Magda Olivero self-produced an album of classical religious music entitled Quandui Canto e Preghiera, When the Song is a Prayer. Normally, she requested that when she gave performances in churches that they not be recorded. But Denis Robert told me that when she heard the recording of the San Jacopino concert, she forgave the transgressor because she too felt that this was one of the most supreme expressions of her artistry. One of the concluding numbers on the program was the Ave Maria from Verdi's Otello. I asked Denis if Magda had ever sung the role of Desdemona, and he said no. What she said was she would have preferred to have performed Otello, the title role. And I said, oh, how Sarah Bernhardt of her, Bernhardt, who it will be remembered, was famous for her pants role portrayals of roles like Hamlet. It's interesting to think of Olivero in that context, and also to hear this aria sung really as a prayer.
My friends, keep the song in your hearts. I'm Daniel Gundlach.